Hello everyone, welcome to From No to Nothing, Ontological Oxymorons. I'm your host, Joel Bouchard, a doctoral student in psychology, and with me today is Mr. Norman Gayford, a professor of English and philosophy. If there's a topic you'd like us to cover on the show, feel free to email us at from nowhere to nothing podcast at gmail.com or contact us on our Facebook page. If you subscribe to this show and know that we appreciate you if you do, you spend an hour each week listening to us talk about a wide range of topics. You certainly don't agree with everything we say, but you find the show intriguing enough to continue listening each week. Have you ever asked yourself why that is? Do you find the majority of our discussions to be rational and get at the truth of the subjects we cover? Or do you find that the idiosyncratic way we narrate our journey through a topic makes it seem more meaningful and more entertaining than other ways of engaging with it? Today, we'll look at that question by examining Fisher's narrative paradigm. That, that was a that was a very nice lead-in, because it, it is cool that people subscribe. Yeah. It's not like we never started out for that to happen. Um, and it's it's very humbling. I mean, it's, it's yeah. We do have people listening, and 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 we talk to each other because we're having the conversation. But I'm I'm thinking of you know the disembodied uh, embodying faces, or you know trying to you know imagine sitting in a living room and having a few people on it, and we're sipping coffee, tea, or whatever, and we're talking. And um, well, one of the podcasts you were on it said, "What are you drinking?" Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a nice cold glass of water right now but it but it is cool and it, and people are starting to ask for topics yeah this one was also a listener request from from cassie so thanks for uh suggesting it and hopefully we don't go too harsh on the topic but uh <laughs> as you'll as you'll find it's a very nuanced um it's a very nuanced thing and there's there's a lot of different ways of of looking at it but yeah going back to the intro right really uh podcasting and not just our show but podcasts in general sort of uh typify this idea of a narrative paradigm right because i've listened to some shows that are um quite technical in nature and actually philosophy podcasts in general tend to be that way mm -hmm. like if you listen to philosophy bites or um uh what was the other one there's uh shoot it's right on the tip of my tongue but anyways um they tend to be you know they're they're going to cite sources and they're going to almost read from a textbook of philosophy. Yeah. So it's very educational in nature. Yeah. Um, but they tend not to be as engaging, right? It's usually one one person. You know, there's no back and forth. There's there's nothing like that. But a lot of the podcasts that that people enjoy are ones where there's a discussion happening, and people might not necessarily be citing sources or, or doing anything like that. Really, what they're doing, right, is telling stories. And you and I do do that week in and week out. We talk about our own experiences, the experiences of people we know, yeah, um, and even you know tell stories about the the specific subjects that we're we're talking about. So, yeah, this idea um, is certainly relevant. So, we'll start at the beginning. Uh, do you want to give us a background on Walter Fisher, who developed the paradigm? Yeah. Uh and he he died not too many years ago. Uh, he was a scholar, academic taught at the University of California. I forget which which is part of the institution. Um, a lot of street cred as a, a, a teacher of discourse and rhetoric, and developed this this idea that he he uh, took pains to explain was not a theory. Um, not that he eschewed theories. Theories are important because they help structure how we 
how we, uh, what we make of the world. He called it a narrative paradigm. It is really a kind of theory, but he wanted to emphasize the idea of paradigm. And the, the, the kernel of it is that, that, uh, human storytelling, uh, we're, we're natural storytellers, but we aren't natu- naturally rational. And of course, this, this sets some people up, but it, 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 that sat well with me, that part of it, um, years ago, because, uh, when one studies logic, and teaches logic, and you, you read what logicians talk about. One of the m- main things that most textbooks and 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 writers of logic say is that it is difficult for people because it is not natural. We don't generally make formal logical arguments in order to convince someone of something, mm. but we think we're being rational when we're trying to convince someone of something. And, and, and we don't even separate the idea that argument and persuasion are not the same things. And so, uh, uh, here's Fisher saying, opening that can of worms, so to speak, that metaphor and saying, okay, really rationality does not work all that well for humans when they're trying to communicate something and get somebody to do something and, in essence, per- persuade somebody to, to do something. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, um, like reading anything by like Socrates is a good example, right? Where he'll go through a Socratic method. And so uh, what I find is like lots of times when you're reading some of his stuff, his enemy will propose something, right? And you'll go, okay, yeah, that seems to make sense, right? Yeah. Plato says a subsumption. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and then question by question, all of a sudden you start to realize, oh, actually this thing that on, on face value, seem to be pretty intuitive all of a sudden you start picking it apart and you go oh nope nope now you really you can't deny that it it doesn't work and so i think that that highlights how rationality is not inherent to the human um mind yeah um yeah we don't we don't do syllogistic thinking in nice steps right Uh, right not naturally not natural we can certainly do it we learn to do it we can we can develop ourselves to to do it yeah Uh, but but then fisher goes uh he he he, and this is in 1987 when his book comes out he's 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 trying to apply this to the the public sphere um to politics to um social issues at that time on how people were conceiving of them um and and saying that a good story is more convincing than anything else but what when you get deeper into it you realize that narrative is not just storytelling he, he, this this is where for me um the problem with overarching paradigms or theories in composition which is to say writing or in speaking if it becomes so large as to umbrella most everything, then I think lots of things get become really ambiguous and it's not so helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And so just for the listener's sake, you know, a paradigm versus a theory, right? A, you know, a theory is an idea about how something works and a paradigm is usually has a, a family of theories within it, right? It's not, it's the next level up. It's something that is, um, Sort yeah. of all encompassing for a, a way, a of, way of looking at something, and that way of looking at something has been put together by 
clusters of theories. Yeah, yeah. And so what what Fisher is saying is right is that our the narrative paradigm is essentially that humans this is influences the way that we think about everything mm-hmm. is in story, right? Yeah. Um so do you, should we should we say more about narrative paradigm or do we want to I, I think we'll just keep recursively We'll, we'll keep returning to it because I don't want to turn this into an academic lecture. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, I, I don't think probably, was it Cassie who, yeah. who asked about, yep. to talk about this? May well have wanted that. I, I don't know. So we're, we're sort of treading both both sides of the, yeah. the past. All right. So, well, let's talk about how it contrasts with the rational world paradigm, which is sort of, um, you know, the, the typical way that we, we think about how humans thought since the ancient greeks right well let's see just to simplify to the point of ridiculousness i suppose so the rational world uh, approach is to say we see things we make determinations about those things we make causal associations with things and 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 so doing we extend our lives <laughs> we, we often go to this i don't know how we got into this fred flintstone kind of cave person thing but the cave the cave guy that go or a woman or that they go out and well okay my backup minions because <laughs> yeah. here are the minions bouncing along the, the, and and they're, they're they're helping a caveman and he's and he's facing a bear and he's about to raise his club at the bear and Minions are no, 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 <laughs> and hand him a fly slaughter and, and then point to the bear. And so he swats the bear's nose. <laughs> and then, of course, he's consumed. <laughs> so, so the, the rational world <clears throat> would say that little story is ridiculous. What happens is you see what a bear does, you see how large it is. You, if you're, you, you, you choose a weapon if you're going to have to encounter the bear. And I mean that's one one goofy example, but uh, you you take the the evidence of your senses and you try to logically follow through. If then, what if then I should and those kind of things. Yeah, yeah. So that's a fun illustration, and I think that it it helps us get to the heart of what this discussion is going to be about, right? Which is sort of like what I was just saying with with any Socratic story, right? Here mm-hmm. we have two opposing views and when you are first introduced to them they both seem to have a lot of merit right the one is you know the the rational world paradigm which says humans are inherently rational right we we see cause and effect we're able to you know draw conclusions about the way things work and we use logical syllogisms to arrive at knowledge and to make decisions and then we have um fisher who's advocating a, a narrative paradigm which he he sort of built in direct opposition to the rational world paradigm mm-hmm. he said no 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 humans are not inherently rational um you know what we do inherently is we tell stories and then we integrate these stories across individuals in different contexts to create narratives on a, on a large level yep. um based on culture or religion or, or any other sort of thing and um you know all everything that we every way that we communicate is a story in some way it has a setting it has characters it has a beginning and an end and, and these sorts of things so both positions when when you lay out the basics of them that way you go oh well you know 
they both seem pretty logical, right? Yes, and so yeah. we'll, we'll sort of dig into the uh, into the narrative paradigm a little bit and see if we can uncover which one is closer to the truth or <laughs> if trying to make that sort of determination is really fallacious in its uh, attempts. I know where I'm going to land. <laughs> <laughs> so what components make up the criterion for good narrative? And there's a and so is what what was Fisher sort of positing with his theory? Well, among other things, that as as you would expect, and as you just uh, mentioned a moment ago, that that in storytelling we have uh, we have subcategories of reasons that we tell stories, and stories that emerge from different kinds of contexts. So um, we have. St- uh, stories that are implied or told, and we'll get to that part too. Because we don't always talk about telling a story beginning to end. Uh, about uh, t- tragedy, crisis, or 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 great sorrow brought about by some large event. We we have stories that are intimate stories about things that happen to one person, but um, in finding out about that, more knowledge is supposedly extended we have humorous stories uh the point being to entertain we have stories primarily to persuade we have stories that are mostly to inform uh and some people would argue that advertisements uh, for pharmaceuticals in doctor's offices right the classic example and that it yes it's supposed to entertain you keep your eyes on the screen but it's telling you things that you need to know about a certain medication but it's but even that there can be that can be deconstructed too then why do they tell us all the bad stuff really rapidly really fast in small print at the end we'll get to that kind of analysis but so the purpose of the story is something that has to be uh, sussed out and then uh, are there characters is there a story arc is there something being implied or something being stated um is there uh a good guy and a bad guy is there what what what's the structure that is being given to us yeah and then on top of that you know in order to because you know rationality right it it's it's empirical right it it it, un, it appears to be objective right mm-hmm. you can say a plus b equals c well if you take a narrative paradigm approach trying to determine what is what works right is you have to come up with a whole new set of principles right and fisher sort of posited coherence and fidelity yes um as those two principles coherence being um how much a story sort of makes sense with itself and then fidelity how much it makes sense in terms of the other stories that we encounter right so your example of of the the bear and the minions and the fly spot earlier right that story lacks coherence, right? Because A, minions are not real, right? right. And right. B, uh, a caveman would would not have had access to a plastic fly swatter, right? So, so the story is incoherent, right? And then the fidelity of the story, right? It, it might make it might have fidelity to turn based on the context, right? If you are watching a, a children's movie, then maybe it has some fidelity with that story arc, right? Provided that the caveman doesn't get eaten to pieces, maybe he gets bopped on the head or something, right? There's some comic <laughs> violence, but but in terms of 
you know, um, something real that we would see if we were to leave the studio here and walk outside the house, well, then it doesn't have fidelity, right? No. So there's, do you want to kind of um, explore those concepts a little hey, further? I, I, I would like to, and, and, and I, I will step uh, carefully, but speaking in general terms, uh, this is where, on the surface of it, the, the Fisher narrative paradigm starts to fall apart for me. But not entirely. I mean, this, I am not going to bash somebody who has developed all over a lifetime a, a, an idea that helps us rethink and talk about communication because that's, and the value is there in itself. But the, the problem is that what we take as truth, which would be coherence with our own uh, worldview or coherence with what we think we have experienced, that's where it gets really dicey. And, and, and without getting too specific, that's what our political situation is in the United States now, undeniably. So that, so that a story will be told and the, and, and, and Fisher mentions this too, the repetition, the repetition of a story enhances its believability to human beings who encounter it. So you say enough times, an election was stolen, then people just start to accept it as, well, it must be so, because otherwise, why would they say it so much? Mm. That's where it falls apart. That's what demonstrates the lack of rationality or the lack of logic. Um, and uh, But the, the narrative paradigm isn't, isn't trying to be judgmental in that way. It's just saying, but look, it works. Yeah, exactly. And I think that this is where it gets kind of interesting, right? Because mm -hmm. so when I look at Fisher's conception of coherence and fidelity, um, coming from a background of, you know, somebody who's working on a PhD in psychology, right? Yes, so I'm yes, working yes, on being a course. social scientist, yep. right? The two things that are important to scientific endeavor um, are internal validity, right? Which is making sure that something makes sense in the way it works and then external validity which means making sure that that thing also works with the broader context okay, ecological so, validity right good good and so i'm not and i'm not going to I'm, I'm not trying to intrude it i want you to keep going but that to go back to the minions thing this is not a minions ad but it's just within the story it's consistent this, the, how the minions arose is established we see a long arc of uh, well brief but uh, of across time of how they've developed their purpose of serving the greatest evil. <laughs> <laughs> so there's an internal coherence, totally out of sync. With yeah, 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 no, exactly. And, and a lot of fiction does work that way, right? Mm -hmm. you, fiction only works if you have good internal validity, if the story structure makes sense and, and causes, um, you know, viewers or readers or listeners or whatever type of media you're using to, um, you know, put aside the 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 outside world and say the story makes sense here, right? And so I think that um, the narrative paradigm, Fisher's narrative paradigm, okay, scores highly on internal validity, right? Coherence and fidelity are very good at at establishing internal validity, at at finding a story arc, yeah. identifying a setting and characters, motivations, um, consistency, that sort of thing. But there really isn't much mention made of external validity. And external validity, um, you know, the idea of how you take a story and then 
put that story within the context of reality of the world we live in right um that was something that that from what i've read has not been flushed out as completely fleshed out as completely and it uh it's very important right because if you have we i think we've all come across conspiracy theories with high degrees of internal validity right moon landings or flat earth or this sort of thing where people have crafted very intricate stories um you know that have a compelling narrative they have all of the, the setting and the characters well, because, and the details because people and love conspiracy theories right because the human being wants to believe that it's that human being against the world is what everybody's because there's a self there's a, there's a there's a psychological truth embedded in this which is that people want to think they are more important than they are in the scheme of things we all want to think that I, I think that's a that's a universal yeah and 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 so this is not bashing this is just looking at human nature well of course the government is watching me because okay slow down think about your daily life what could possibly be of use that doesn't mean you're an insignificant person it means that your daily life is not significant to power brokers right which is why stories that aren't true can reach people because those stories are set up to say but you are very important well of course every human being on this planet is important and every human being who dies is a loss to our collective humanity but that sounds too academic to say right that sounds too cyclical. well i'm being dry and saying that uh, but if i whip up a tail <laughs> so I'm, i didn't mean to no no no, no yeah so that's one part of it right um but the other part of it that i think is very interesting and this is where um i don't know what cassie's feelings are on fisher's narrative paradigm right she just said hey i want you guys to talk about i hope this. that cassie will write so, back and talk to us about yeah this. i hope so too but so i don't know if this is going to be um sort of saving the episode if she was in favor of it or playing devil's advocate if she wasn't but either way right that's besides the point philosophy is looking at ideas critically yeah. and and trying to find what the validity in them is so where i sort of find this interesting is in what we've highlighted is okay so here's the the weaknesses in fisher's paradigm but we have not established that it does not work as a matter of fact um i think that the the developments on the world stage that have taken place since fisher posited the paradigm tend to support the notion that this is the way people think and this is the way that they operate hmm. not rationally and with a good story right? with a good story now it, you, uh, your point about externalism is uh, i felt that too i didn't use it in, 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 in those terms but when i think about it uh, in terms of common sense hmm. which is a bizarre concept in itself because the very nature of saying well it's common sense means well it's common sense within the paradigm of my life experience it's like being in a black hole and having a whole universe it's <laughs> you know but what's common sense for me in my lived experience may not be common sense for somebody living two doors down yeah it's funny i actually read an article that was unrelated to this earlier in the week that was talking about how i think the art the the title that might have been common sense isn't so common and that's what they were talking about was the idea of common sense is sort of a fallacy 
because what sense is common to people is dependent on their narrative, on their life narrative, on what their experiences have been. And, 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 and as I understand it, or have like over decades, think that I've come to understand some of it, um, as a practicing teacher of composition and so on, just from that viewpoint, you, but yeah, or, or just living. Fisher asserts that common sense um, is the the assessment tool for narrative coherence and fidelity. But I think that puts an awful lot of of pressure on the the very thing that the the paradigm pushes against, which is common sense is implying a rationality and a logic that's not necessarily there. I'm referencing a, a, that I something I said to you off, off, off mic earlier this morning. I'll just simply shorthand it. Oh, the government has weather machines. That explains what's going on. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and I cannot assert, I can assert that that may be a common view among a group of, of conspiracy theorists would rather believe that the government has power to control the weather than believe that there is a climate crisis. But there's not, there, it may be a common missense or common sense within the self-generated uh, story pool, but it's not a good metric for measuring coherence. Uh, yeah, and there's there's been a lot of damage done. We're just starting to realize this, right? And a lot of lay people don't know it, but... Um, I think a lot of lay people think that we have a, a pretty um, consistent measure of, of IQ, right? Intelligence. Mm. Um, but what we're starting to discover is the intelligence tests that were that were created by psychologists in the 60s and 70s were all based on middle class white people's knowledge, right? And so what happens is if you apply this IQ test to people of different races and cultures and ethnicities and things across the world, those people don't score well because they're not middle class white people. Does it, but that doesn't mean that they're less intelligent. So our test that was developed to identify intelligence does not work because what we considered common sense, right? What we considered to be measuring this thing wasn't actually measuring it. And I think that you're right. That's, that's sort of the problem with the narrative paradigm is when you put all of the emphasis on rationality on the the person interpreting the story um you can look at it in a positive light right and say it, it democratizes it right <laughs> okay well it's we're no longer relying on elite um you know qualified you know educators right. and and pol politicians and ac academics who who are dictating policy to us because they're using an obscure rationality to to interpret what's what's true Which and what's is real a conspiracy theory now <laughs> now you know anybody can recognize a good story so we're all responsible for identifying it, right oh that's the positive view. that's the positive <laughs> view, right and 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 so the intelligence test um reinforces that right okay well the academics and the scholars and these people came out with a test to measure intelligence but they based it off of the wrong criteria and so Everybody, you know, assumed that this intelligence score was measuring something that it was not measuring, and and and, and so that uh, that also is a, a, a still in the benign area, 
but this stuff can be weaponized and is weaponized right by with imperialistic intent with 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 social casting intent whatever whatever labels one one wants to put to it ah okay so naturally this this measures the thing that's common sense to us and therefore uh we'll keep using it or the people but the people who say no no it doesn't do that we have to back up and then they're trying to push against this enormous landslide of accepted belief that's really hard to do yeah yeah even when you tell a story right so but the negative side of this right <laughs> is that by democratizing um truth in a in essence right the ability to recognize some you know what's being said um people come up with their own stories and these stories don't match with other people's stories and um one of the ap academic articles i was reading in, in pr preparation for this um identified this they said you know really this wasn't as much of a problem in the past because individual stories tended to mesh it with other individual stories into meta narratives right that yep. were either encompassed in um religious organizations political organizations those sorts of things i said in, in modernity right um with everybody's different access to technology and, and different abilities to you know interact with other people um this is sort of falling apart right these central organizations the church um the government academia right these organizations power has or power or or um or knowledge or yeah as as weakened as been discredited in in place of people's own internal stories and and the author of this study who was espousing actually narrative paradigm uh -huh. um said that this is is a negative and they called it emotivism emotivism yeah. is when you are basing what's true off of your own individual stories that are based off of your own individual emotions yes and they said that that yes. i mean at that point you're you're just getting you're unrooted you you don't have any any it's, solid it's foundation self, yes self-referential and you're floating foucault talked about this mm -hmm. about the shifting of knowledge and power across patriarchies across time and history so that one truth doesn't exist for a culture because the culture is manufactured with that yeah that, that truth might be so Okay. Yeah, and Foucault was, was brought up quite a bit. But you see, now we, we're in the thick of it, right? So yeah. we've, we've demonstrated, right? Um, we've demonstrated ways in which the rational world paradigm has failed us, right? With, and, and there's many examples, right? We can all think of ways that political organizations and religious organizations and academic organizations have failed us, right? Or have made a wrong, a wrong decision. Um, but we've also identified a lot of more than surface <laughs> weaknesses in the narrative paradigm right mm -hmm. some very structural things that that appear to be <laughs> let's take it let's, let's let's do a kind of socratic thing okay um what's a movie that you've watched in recent uh, in your recent history that you liked uh i've i've watched interstellar every six months <laughs> okay, <so> okay. <laughs> uh, and i love in interstellar too it's not necessarily because of the actor, but he's cool. Yeah, okay, so that's yeah. fine. <laughs> All right. Is it a true story? No. Push back. Well, you see, it's contextual, right? Because 
The physics of it is done very well, well enough to the point where there was scientific papers written on the way that some of it was done. Mm -hmm. But the narrative itself is concocted. Right. So, you can tell the difference, then, between a fictionalized story and a story that is meant to tell the truth so you could you would assert that you know the difference between a made-up story and a real story i would like to assert that yeah yeah so would i but i <laughs> <laughs> there ends the socratic <laughs> uh, i i think that that's the essence of it i think that narrative with with with, with good intent but i think that it it uh because people know the difference between an Avengers movie or Star Trek film or Interstellar or whatever and life, did that really happen? No, not yet. It's in the future Earth and whatever. But the assumption being that because we can determine that, we can always determine when something is consistent and therefore truthful or not. Because because fiction is more complicated than that. When you try to make everything stories, uh, it really drags out the notion of story. We we were talking before the show about uh, icons, about uh, logos hmm. for companies, and and whole branches of the uh, of economic practice. Well, a, a good logo will tell a story of your company. A logo doesn't tell a story a logo implies the possibilities of story that the person who sees the logo then makes up because even if an internal memo tells everyone by gods this is the story and you're going to put this out in public this is the story of our company that's not the same thing as what somebody looks at a logo and and, and many people would say i look at a logo i don't make anything of it at all and and the advertisers will say, well, then it's a weak logo. But if you're supposed to be deconstructing or interpreting or analyzing the the essence of a, an image, and it's a really good exercise to do, and it's what we do when we we look at art and and, and all of the humanities. But but to assert that that is a story, that's where this falls apart to me. Yeah, and I think that. Fisher's retort would be that it is a story, but the story, the meaning of the story is determined by the one who is hearing it, not the one who's telling. Fair right? point. I think and, you would. Yes. Yeah. And so, and this is, I think that this sort of gets at the heart of, because Interstellar, right? When you ask me, is it a true story? Right. And I sort of hesitated because is, is the, the true story about Cooper and, his jaunts all over the universe? No, that's obviously fictionalized. But is it possibly a story about how relativistic gravity works, right? Yeah. Yeah, it kind of is, right? And so each, each narrative has a story, has multiple stories inside of it. And some of them can be true and some of them can be false. Is it true to fatherhood? Well, that would depend on one's own experience mm -hmm. of um, either end of that particular spectrum. Uh, but if it's true enough to bring tears to the eyes of people, there's an emotional truth. Yeah. 
that speaks somehow, whether it's unconsciously or consciously, it says, it, it resonates. It hits that point where you can explode the wall and get inside. We were talking about that, the mm. sound thing this, this morning, right? You, you get to a certain point with your sound you make or your voice or whatever, and systems change. Mm. I, I think that's the measure of, of a truth. Yeah, and so here, here we get into the big stuff, right? And so this is the question I've been waiting to ask all episode, right? We know, um, if we go back to Hume and Kant, right, espousing empiricism versus rationality, right? Empiricism mm -hmm. is looked at as the objective and rationality as the subjective. In this discussion, we've sort of looked at rationality in, in the context of the rational world paradigm as being more objective or empirical and the narrative as being the more subjective but within fisher's um, paradigm they discuss the narrative rationality we need a definition of rationality right that can give us some criteria for determining if one or one or the other of these theories is valid, right? So, what yeah. is rationality in in terms of what we're talking about? Well, Fisher says the narrative rationality is is uh, how effectively how effectively the story communicates, how effectively the the story touches you. If you emerge from the movie and uh, I got nothing, then it didn't have narrative rationality. If you emerge. And but even this implies that people will come out from a movie and say more than, "Oh, love the special effect. Yeah, that was great. It was great when they jumped off the mountain and, and fell." And, and you know, or 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 come out from a movie and say, in an Indiana Jones film, <laughs> ah, that guy's dead. Nope, he's <laughs> nope. He can't come back later on. He's dead because <laughs> the physics just doesn't work. Well, then the narrative rationality has not functioned. But I think that's a narrow, a necess probably necessarily narrow um, definition by example or by assumption. Yeah, I think this is a good example, right? And this is why I love philosophy, right? Yeah. We is we've used rationality throughout the conversation as if we know what it is, <laughs> right? But yeah. but it's it's very. And it's very difficult, and rationality will mean different things in different contexts. Right? Well, and, there, and then there's narrative emotion, and I sort of cross the boundaries of the two. I, I sort of push them together when I shouldn't have. Well, and I think even the dictionary definition, right, the quality of being based on or in accordance with reason or logic. Well, reason and, or logic are two different things, right? Yes, I think that are. logic espouses what we've been talking about syllogisms and and the philosophical discipline of logic um whereas you know rationality or reason is basically just what we've been talking reason is the internal validity that we've been talking about right the the ability of a story to make sense within itself whereas logic is is something a, a bit different right hmm. and so i this idea of rationality Right and and trying to posit the rational world paradigm as being diametrically opposed from mm -hmm. narratives mm -hmm. Fisher paradigm, well, it's really taking liberties with with what we're considering rational, and so sensible. Yeah, and so I think that 
and and what we've discovered by looking at at the world right is that okay well there are certain contexts in which a rational world paradigm works and then there's certain contexts where a narrative paradigm if it works Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and i think that you were hitting on it there um just a second ago when you were saying coming out of the movie right how you feel coming out of the movie that's the that's sort of the rational um the 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 narrative rationality right regardless of what the truth is outside of the story if the story is convincing enough and the story evokes emotions then it is rational in that context right it's internally consistent it, it, but I, I your point about it is is well taken about logic and reasoning reasoning is some sometimes they're, they're used interchangeably but th- there is a difference and and reasoning usually a, sooner or later appeals to sense which is itself a difficult word isn't it? yeah we have five senses which one are we talking <laughs> about? that's not what i mean by sense <laughs> what do you mean by sense all right sense would be what? what 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 do we mean ordinary uh assumed knowledge it's oh, oh, ordinary if your if your mind is calibrated and balanced all right then then of course you would see the sense of this why i mean you know i'm trying to i'm trying to be inclusive enough with this to not just bash on a group of people right we, we all are capable of being insensible or without our sense he's out of his mind like all the phrases that we use it's, it's uh, but if it makes sense that means things have clumped together somehow the tumblers have uh, have tumbled and the and the vault door is going to open if it makes sense the, what one one must do next and i don't see that in the paradigm what must do next is to say why yeah should i trust that this really is sensible just because i want to believe it does it really have anything to do with my lived experience i want to believe that the government is totally rotten and is totally it's it's after me give me three examples of where the government was after you i want to believe that we're being overrun with with people okay then you don't want to believe that less than one percent of the people in this country are immigrants illegally uh, you know is, is it but it takes what does it take to slow down to stop to be able to say i'm examining this there are all kinds of reasons and i'm not trying to offer justifications that people won't they're tired they're angry because they've been whipped up into being angry. They're, they they have a grudge because life hasn't done for them what they thought was going to do. Any number of reasons. They're tired because they have three jobs and they shouldn't have to have three jobs. And 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 and. Yeah, I think that I think that you've gotten us there with that example of asking the why, right? Because yeah. I'm going to posit something and I'll see what your reaction okay. to it is. Up to this point in the conversation, we have taken the sort of um default stance Mm -hmm. that fisher's narrative paradigm and the rational world paradigm are diametrically opposed and that one of them tells us uh the truth about the world 
And then throughout our discussion, we've seen faults in both of them, right? Which would lead us to believe that mm, it's probably not the case that either one is correct, right? So now we're taking on a, a type of uh, Hegel, Hegelian stuff. So here's my uh, dialectic proposition, right? Rationality as espoused by the rational world paradigm is not inherent to people. So I agree with Fisher's narrative paradigm there. But I would posit that rationality in the rational world paradigm is the most beneficial way to uh, address communications on a paradigmatic level. Mm -hmm. Fisher's narrative paradigm is the natural form of human communication, but it should only apply on a theoretical level to contextual situations and not on a paradigmatic level to human communication as a whole. What do you think of that? I rapidly. That's a lot. I know. I'm just, I'm just, I, I think that that holds water. So but that's because I want to believe in rationality, but I also love the power of story. Right? Hmm. So I, I think you're, you're addressing both of those things. And I think that the, the idea that one must be always in the ascendant over the other, that's the part that you're not asserting, but that's the part that bothers me when we say, well, this, this paradigm explains better how things happen. There are times when stories are absolutely necessary. And there are times, and people always, we're, we're constantly narrating our own story. You can go home and, 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 and tell a friend, a, a partner with a, oh, I, I dropped my keys. I lost my keys. Or you can go home and say, you know, I was coming back from the store and, and I got out of the car and I realized that I, I don't know where my keys are, but I had the keys when I came home. And so they must be, now we're narrating a whole process and just saying, instead of saying, I lost my keys. Yeah. I lost my keys gets us there. <laughs> right. But if you're trying to figure out where the keys are and you tell a story, then you start backtracking. You do the Sherlock Holmes thing. If everything else is eliminated, which is rational and logical, then what remains must be the truth. Yeah. No. Yeah. So, <laughs> and I, I'm going to, I'll give an article to people if they want to read an, ac an academic article on this because it, it was very interesting. When I went to look at a lot of the academic literature, a lot of it was critical of Fisher's narrative yeah, paradigm. Yeah. Um, but this one I liked because it, it attempted to do what we're doing here, which is to seed it um, within human context and to find the things that, that are, are worthwhile about it. Um, but the name of the article was Texturing the Narrative Paradigm, I read that Folklore one. and Communication yeah. by yeah. Kathleen Glenister Roberts. Yeah. Um, and the one sort of quote that really stuck out to me, I'll see if I can find it, was at the end. But she basically said, you know, we're not, um, basically not bashing the paradigm, right? No. But trying to contextualize it within what we know about communication. And she said exactly what you were just saying, which is, folklore right the our our stories about ourselves 
I do have important ways of, of influencing our, our thinking and are important, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but and, we have to have we have to have a a rational underpinning for that. Yes, yes. And so she referred to us as living in a post virtue world, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so this is I think this is where it's beneficial to go back to the Greeks, right? And think about when when the Greek philosophers were talking about living the good life, right? What were they saying? It was this espousal of rationality over just our emotivism, mm-hmm. our, our just engaging in our own emotions, our own personal story, and then elevating that to the level of truth, right? It was about going beyond that and actually confronting the facts of the matter and coming and doing the hard work of logically determining what is going on and and yeah. sometimes having to give up your initial position and accept what was what what is actually happening this is where populism this is precisely the point where populism um in any in any place and time when it's uh when the story supersedes Documented truth when the story story supersedes what is or has been to go into an, an entire world of, of fiction that causes harm and pain to, to lots of people and the very population that believes in it is the population that's going to end up getting hurt most. So there's 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 that. Then there's also we need to. <coughs> I think it's important to point out that one of the other influences of the many, because he was a scholar, so endless influences on somebody coming uh, to terms with how he's seeing the world. Uh, Kenneth Burke, uh, a fascinating uh, writer, thinker, philosopher, educator, uh, developed a a thing uh, of a theory of dramatism. And and, uh, Fisher drew upon that. And and uh, 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 not surprisingly, uh, Burke's dramatism was the idea that we we essentially see ourselves as players on a stage. As you go back to Shakespeare's "All the World's a Stage," and dramatism works for that. Okay, but on that stage, where is the human motivation? Where is why are people doing what they're doing? Why are they doing it? How they're doing it? And and so on. It, it requires that thought. So it's it's not just the the, the storytelling implied in a symbol or t- told all the way through, but it's the the intention and the motivation that that a, a more dramatistic view brings that I think is important. Yeah, yeah, and and again, it's this idea of you know we've we've talked about meaning on the podcast a lot and how meaning is. Ultimately, it seems to be more a subjective thing than an objective thing, right? It's hard to look out into the universe and find meaning. But, but what we ascribe meaning from our subjective point of view is real to us. But that's not necessarily the same with truth, mm-hmm. right? And I think that that is where it becomes easier to contextualize when to use narrative paradigm versus when to use rational paradigm. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that to be fair to Fisher, there's also this, this this other element that I haven't really pointed to. And I guess it's it's more of a 
a way of of seeing it. Uh, I, I think Fish, Fisher himself says that he's not trying to attack or diminish people's view. When he says people are not primarily logical, he's not saying people are stupid. He's saying that logic does not, um, and, and formalistic reasoning does not allow many people to be able to express what's important to them or, or begin to think about why. And there's the dramatistic part. And, and where, whereas if we took people's stories more um, seriously, I, or, or with with more intention, that can lead to then uh, a more reasonable discussion. It's not just tell my story and there it is, and it doesn't matter what anybody says. Tell my story. I'm listening, and, and it's rather the classic listening theory, right? Okay, what I hear you saying is, <laughs> and people don't even like to hear that anymore because that's become almost mimic. But really, all right, you're angry. Why are you angry? Or you're, you feel like you have been, uh, forgotten. What makes, what, what is your story telling me about why you feel like you've been forgotten? What has been forgotten that needs to be remembered? Hmm. And, and if those kind of conversations happened, I think there'd be a lot less, uh, political anger. But that also goes back to the ideal of, oh, well, we rationally talked about it after you told your story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that there's, there is a lot of positive potential for narrative paradigm that we did not give its due diligence during the show. And I think it could be bottom up, like for what you were just saying. I think it, it can also be top down. I think that's where a lot of important implications for it could be, right? Yeah. Which is the ability of, um, politicians and academics and business leaders to express in, yeah, yeah express information to tell a story to to make it meaningful to the people under them and i've noticed that from being a business leader right that that's when i'm the most successful as a communicator right is not when i'm saying hey do this because i said so mm -hmm. but saying hey listen um a customer came in they said that this is their priority of focus in order to address that, we have to look at this thing. Um, now tell me what your experience of work is that comes into conflict with that. And then let's come up with a new thing that addresses it, right? Yeah. I think that if you, if you have a story, you have a narrative and a narrative from the customer side, a narrative from my side, a narrative from the employee side, and then a narrative about how we're going to work as a team. Mm -hmm. It's much more effective than just laying out the rational facts and expecting people to abide Agreed. by it. Yes. Yeah. So last question, because uh, it's a disease and I can't help myself. <laughs> Do stories exist or is it just the way our brains have developed to make meaning? Oh, oh, oh. Stories exist. We have them. <laughs> stories exist. The library is filled with them. Uh, I guess the question would be, do we have stories or do stories have us? Ah, <laughs> okay, now you're getting into logology. You, you did that on purpose, did you? <laughs> yeah, right. Which is the study of, of, of words of, of language. And uh, sometimes it has theological intent, but it's, it's much broader than that. Logology is the study of words and how words shape reality. So the stories have us. Yeah, uh, and I'll and I'll say this just just because you know I love to be inflammatory. 
this is why the, the, the classic statement, if God didn't exist, we'd have had to invent God. There would be a, we, we would need to have invented those stories that some people assert. Language has us right there. Language has us all the time because we can't even figure, what's sense? Well, hmm. well, sense means this, but sense also means this. But I know what I mean by when I'm saying sense, don't you? You you sort of get it, right? And and maybe you can be you're, you're being nice and say, yeah, I get it. And underneath, you're saying, nope, <laughs> <laughs> but you wouldn't do that. You'd push back. Language has us. I love the way you phrase that. It does. Yeah, I think that it's pretty clear cut, right? I think that what's what's the best way to look at it is to look at everything, right? If we look at at everything, we can say, okay, well, the universe is a setting. Um, it had a beginning, it's likely it will have an end, and it has characters. Mm -hmm. So I think that we, I think that story has us. I, I think it's pretty clear. I, I, I agree, bravo. All right. Until next time, keep talking.